All right, if you want to take your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. As you're turning there, just to put what we're going to read in its context, though many of you are aware of this, we're in the midst of a letter that is instruction from Paul to Timothy. Timothy serving as a pastor of church in Ephesus. And so, an important part of that, Paul wants to make sure that, that Timothy is prepared to uh, recognize leadership and servants, and uh, that he would then have kind of a, a, a list of uh, expectations that would enable him to identify those who could serve. So, First Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 identifies the expectations, qualifications of the one who would serve as a… the New King James uses the word bishop, but it is, it is the same thing as pastor, elder. These are all equivalent terms. And so, verses 1 through 7 laying out… In our, in our tradition, we tend to call my position and John's and Aaron's, we call us pastors. These verses then apply to us. But then he turns his attention to deacons. And so, verse 8, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You know, the office of deacon is one that was really, it was born out of conflict on the one hand and necessity on the other. In a lot of ways, the, the, the office of deacon comes about for, for very real, tangible, and I, I would even use the word pragmatic reasons. And in spite of the, the tendency we have to think of the early church as just being one, you know, just full of everybody just being happy, happy with one another, and there never being any problems, and there's never any conflict, we find we don't get four chapters into the story of the early church before they're fussing with each other. And in this instance, the particular issue involves one that was near and dear to the heart of the church. The church had grown by leaps and bounds. Thousands had been added to the church, and, and more were being added, as Acts says, every day people are being added to the church. Well, this creates a unique burden because the church right off the bat was committed to caring for one another, and in particular, gave attention to those who could not take care of themselves. And so this meant a very special and necessary ministry to widows. Widows often finding themselves in a position where they had trouble being able to care for themselves, and, and especially in a context where if they became believers, whatever family might have been taking care of them could very well have turned on them because of their faith. Well, the church didn't miss a beat. She was committed 
to providing in very real and practical ways for these widows, namely food distribution. But again, it's not all happy-happy. Something happens, and though we don't really get motivation, I mean, the text never tells us, it does say that, that the widows who were kind of the, the fully committed, identifying Jewish widows were getting their fair share, but the ones identified as Hellenistic, meaning of, of, of under Greek influence, weren't getting the same kind of attention. So they come to the apostles with this. And the apostles very clearly and bluntly say, this cannot be our job. In fact, Peter is very quick to say, we cannot give our, times, our time to wait on tables. That phrase is then translated as deacon, one who waits on tables. And what they then decided was that in this, in this first setting that the apostles needed to pray, they needed to preach, they, they needed to do that very specific task given to them by Jesus, and so they appointed seven men. They're described as men who are full of the Spirit and of good reputation. And these men would take it upon themselves to see to it that the food was properly distributed to these widows. Now, there's no way these seven men are distributing all of the food all by themselves. However, they take responsibility to lead out, organize in this very important form of service. In fact, if you were to go back and read that text in Acts chapter 6, you will find as soon as this new program is instituted, it goes on to say that after this, a number of Pharisees believe the gospel and are added to the church. Because this would have mattered to them. I mean, we tend to always have a negative view of Pharisees. Not all of them were bad guys. A lot of them wanted to do right and to be true, and, but uh, they, they had been misled. And when they saw the church acting in a manner that was consistent with Old Testament ethics of love, that seemed to kind of be the final straw. And they believed the gospel. And it said many more were then added to the church. And this, so this is where it begins. And it begins, again, with very real practical needs. And so over the years, the church has always then had deacons. Not just ours, I mean, ever since then. Uh, every, uh, every, I mean, there, there's always going to be exceptions. But every denomination, every uh, movement, uh, by and large, uh, every one of these evangelical, so to speak, Christian groups had deacons. They would have some form of pastoral leadership and then some form of deacon servantship. And they would serve in a variety of ways, uh, caring for widows. Some involve uh, maybe a little bit more attention given to finances. Some providing care in the midst of grief and illness. And in whatever way they serve, though, Clearly, right from the beginning, deacons were designated as essential to the health and the well-being of the church. I, I would argue that just as where pastors are not functioning 
properly in a church, that church is always going to be unhealthy. Where deacons are not functioning biblically, that church is going to be unhealthy. Clearly, the New Testament identifies these as critical for getting this thing right that we call church life. And so that's why we take it seriously. It matters to us here. Uh, Not only the deacons who are serving, but then as we come to a time where we're going to recognize men that we believe are men of the Spirit, of good reputation, of character, who are going to serve in this function, that we take time, we give all of our time and attention to this office and the opportunity then as a church to set them aside to it. And that's what we're going to do in just a few minutes. We'll do what we've done many times, and we will lay hands on these who have agreed to serve you, church, in the ministry of the deacon. Now, the text that I just read, though, is important because it really, uh, it, it, it is the, these are the marching orders. I mean, other than Acts chapter 6, we, we don't have any other passage other than this one that gives us any real insight on, on what deacons did. In fact, let me go ahead and point out something about the passage that we just read. You'll know there, there is not in any of these verses, save maybe the reference here uh, to being able to rule their own homes well, there's not one skill. They, 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 don't, they don't have to know how to fix the wiring. They don't need to know how to change the oil in their cars. I mean, it's fine if they do. I just mean they don't need to know how to do that. They don't need to be able to, they don't have to sing in the choir. They don't have to be able to, they don't even have to be able to teach. In fact, you'll notice all of these verses, they identify character. I mean, what, what Paul is telling Timothy is when you go to look for leadership, by the way, the same thing is true about elders with one exception. It says we're to be apt to teach. Otherwise, it's all character-driven, all of it. We don't have to be dynamic. We don't have to be extroverts. We don't have to be people, you know, uh, uh, engage, engagers. We, we, we don't have to have this deep kind of grand passion or vision. None of that's ever in the Bible. It just lays out what, what characteristics should should describe the life of those who will serve the church. The same is true for deacons. What is the expectation then is placed upon them? Well, you'll see what I think are some broad categories. The first category is that of morality, and we've talked about these before. So what is expected? Well, verse 8, it says, Deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money. Again, what is this identifying? It's identifying men of character. Uh, to, it's describing men of, 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 of dependability, that, that when they're, they're people you can trust, they're faithful, they're honest, uh, that you, you, you can entrust to them whatever ministry need there might be in the church, and they'll do it well. So, so they need to have character. Again, morality is important. We need to know that the men who are serving the church reflect, and that the best way to say this would be just Christ-likeness. And by the way, just in case you want to read this and think, that's right, hope all those deacons out there are listening. 
Do you think if you're not a deacon, then that means you don't have to be reverent? Do you think that means that you can be double-tongued? If you're not a deacon, does that mean bring on the wine because I can drink all that I want? And does it mean give me the money, 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 money? Is that what it means? No. Is there anything in this list where then you know you would not find applied to every other believer? That's just as a reminder to us. Yes, we want these men to shine in this example. But do not forget you're obligated to it as well, whether you serve in this position or not. Look at the second one, the second category. So you've got morality. Then there's also what I would identify as spirituality. Verse 9 says, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. This means not only are they believers, but they have an understanding of the faith. They don't have to have PhDs in theology, but they need to have an understanding of the doctrine of the church. They need to be committed to the doctrine of the church. They need to be men of genuine faith. Genuine belief. They believe the gospel. They believe what God's word says about God, his plan, his work in the world, all of this that, that would be described as, as biblical doctrine. In fact, notice how serious Paul is about this. Notice verse 10. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Paul expects that they would be interviewed. He's telling Timothy, you need to to put them through some kind of vetting process. You should know that the men who serve here at Tabernacle go through this vetting process. These two men that we are going to ordain tonight, the the first step is their, their names were turned in by people like you. I mean, right off the bat, they are being, in essence, nominated. That others among them have said, yes, I think these men demonstrate qualities indicative of being an Acts 6 and 1 Timothy 3 deacon. When we send out those letters every June, that's what we put at the top of it, Acts 6, 1 Timothy chapter 3, because that's what we want you to read, and these are the kind of men we want you to think of. That's how these names come to us. But then they go through a second vetting process, and that is the deacons receive all of these names. I receive the names, and we also then give our stamp of approval or potential disapproval. So in other words, it's not just a popularity contest. Just because somebody may get votes from the congregation does not necessarily mean that that's the end of the story. Our responsibility is much bigger than that. But we're not done yet, because then these men have to meet with me, chairman of deacons, and the vice chairman of deacons, where we question them. We question them about their walk with their Lord, about their testimony, about their theological positions, about the responsibilities we're about to put on them if they say yes to being a deacon. We ask them, I do, I ask every single one of them. What does your wife think about this? Because it matters. And so they they go through this process because we want to ensure as best as we're able that these these are people that we think will serve well in this position. 
So spirituality matters. Now, I do want to make another statement when it says, being found blameless. See, it's words like that that make every man in here who, who is a deacon, or these two guys who are about to be one, they hear words like that and think, count me out. I'm done then. Blameless. It doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean without sin. Instead, it means no meaningful accusation can be cast against them and stick. It doesn't mean that they don't have their own flaws and imperfections and struggles with sin. It just means their reputation is such. No one's going to say, oh, he's a deacon? See, that would be a problem. We, We need men who then express spirituality. And then there's a third category, and that is responsibility. So, so as, as we read just a moment ago, it, it speaks of the wife of the deacon to be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. It speaks of the deacon being, being a man who is, who is able to, to be a husband and a father as God's Word expects him to be. And then it says, for those who have served well, verse 13, as deacons, Attain, obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. In other words, they, they form an important part of the reputation of God's people. So we expect a certain level of responsibility. They need to be responsible in their marriage. They need to be responsible in their home. And they need to be responsible in the community. When it says they find good standing... Though there are some who may, you know, there, there's differences of opinion, but the interpretations I like the best suggest this language of good standing is not just related to the church. It means to the community. It includes those who are outside of it. So that there is this testimony that these men bear that go beyond these doors. Morality, spirituality, responsibility. Once again, though, I would suggest to you, if you're here and thinking, oh, well, there he goes, talking about deacons again, it's just deacons. Do, do you think you get to be immoral and unspiritual and irresponsible? Of course not. Should you also hold the faith, the mystery of the faith in good conscience? Should you also be somebody of reputation, somebody who, has, who provides us with good standing, See, so for everybody else, because the deacons have heard this, and they often hear this on Thursdays when they have their... I mean, we've gone through this passage. There's not a deacon in the room that has not heard these words more than once, more than... There's not a deacon that hadn't heard them more than 10 times, 20 times. It's been how long they've been a deacon. Because again, it's the only one in the Bible, I mean, other than Acts 6. So it's kind of the one we have to go to. But understand, for everybody else, when the words come out of your mouth, I go to tabernacle. You become a part of whatever reputation we've got. (laughs) So to be sure, we should all recognize our responsibilities with these qualities. Nevertheless, what we are calling deacons to then is fundamentally to serve the church as those who exhibit these qualities in a much more intentional and specific and larger way. So basically, these are the obligations I put upon these men, that they would serve in such a way that they are faithful 
to these obligations. And so tonight, we have the opportunity to ordain into the deacon ministry Grant Gover and Scott Hamilton. And they will be up here in just a, a moment with their, with their wives, and uh, we will in just a moment then do the laying on of hands. We do this because this was done from the very beginning. In Acts chapter 6, this is exactly what happened to these first seven deacons. Hands were laid upon them. As we do this, there's nothing magical about it. There's, there's, there's no kind of supernatural impartation, all right? Uh, if I had that ability, I would tell you. But we don't. That's not what's happening. Instead, it is a way to pray. It is a way to encourage. And at the same time, it is a visible public testimony that these men are being set aside unto this purpose. And this is being affirmed not only by the men who will pray, by you as a congregation. So as we do the laying on of hands, that, that gives you, who will not be formally coming around to lay on of hands, opportunity to pray, to pray for these men. The other thing I would ask you to do, to not only pray for the men that we are ordaining here tonight, but then, then you will see men coming around who are deacons laying on hands. I would ask that you pray for them as well. I will tell you, if there is a church anywhere that has better deacons serving them than this one, I will give you five billion dollars. I'm confident. Now, there may be some that are as good, but you're not going to find a group that's serving you better. You've got men of faith who love you, who love the Lord, who want nothing but the best. They've been through a hard year and a half. They've endured a difficult season with faith and character and love and service. And each of them are a blessing to me. And so I'd ask that you pray for them because they have to deal with me. I'd ask that you would pray, you would pray for them as they serve you and as they serve this church. So I would ask Scott and Grant if you all would make your way, uh, each one taking one of these seats, and uh, Holly and Michelle, if you would join them. I would also invite uh, all men who are, who are ordained uh, and would invite you to, to let, even if you're not active uh, and, or were even ordained here, uh, if you have served as an ordained uh, deacon and or pastor, we'd love to have you then come and lay on hands. You can line up behind uh, Jim Jackson is serving this year as our chairman of deacons, and uh, so he will begin the prayer time, and, uh, and after these men pray, they'll find their way back to their seats. I'll close our time then tonight uh, as this process is complete, and uh, we'll close, close out our time together tonight. Uh, so, uh, Brother Jim, if you'd come and you'd lead us in the first prayer your body of Christ as we seek to be your people faithful in all that you've called us to do. And we thank you for these who've gathered here tonight. God, I pray for them as well. I pray, God, that they would know your hand upon them. I pray that you would grant them wisdom and strength for the lives to which you have called them, so that in all ways we would be faithful to you, living for your glory. We ask that you then gather your people back together again, that we might worship you in spirit and in truth. That's in Christ's name we pray.
Amen.